Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Today, I'm here with Anders Sorman Nilsson. Anders, welcome to the pod. Great to be on your pod today. <laughs> Excellent. So for those of you that don't know Anders, uh, Anders is a futurist and the founder of Sydney-based firm Think, which provides data-based research, foresight, and thought leadership assets for global brands across four continents. He's provided research, foresight, and business impact for companies such as Apple, Facebook, Edelman, McKinsey, Mercedes-Benz, Oracle, Johnson & Johnson, and many, many more. Anders is an active member of the TED Global community. He's keynoted at TEDx in both the US and in Australia. He was nominated to the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Summit in 2015 and was the keynote speaker at the G20's Y20 Summit in Australia. He's the author of three books, and today we're going to be discussing the future of digital. Anders, welcome again. Great to be uh, on the Smarter marketer. <laughs> is it smarter marketer or smart marketer? A smarter marketer. You don't want to be smarter, smart. You want to be smarter. I know. It's a, I know. I know. <laughs> it's a mouthful for us Swedish Australians. That's right. Um, so I thought I'd ask with a pretty broad question. So um, you're a futurist. What is a futurist? So there's a few different ways to kind of explain what I do. Um, my mum calls me. Uh, I mean, my mum has absolutely no idea what I do for a living. She calls me a son, the one who used to be a lawyer who is now a glorified astrologer. So that's one way to look at things. Um, I think what we do is probably a little bit more evidence-based maybe, although my dear astrology friends might, might disagree. Um, but I, I kind of tend to describe it in two ways, um, either as a reverse historian, uh, which sounds a little bit fluffy, but perhaps more, more sort of apt as a, almost like a science fiction author or business. Uh, let me just sort of, expand on that a little bit when it comes to strategy and setting your sights on 2025 or 2030 or 2040 i mean in some way strategy is just a thought experiment right it's going from point a to point b it's from present state to future state and so what us futurists really do is to sit down with leadership teams with marketing executives etc and kind of go where do you want to be in 2035 and let's actually engage in a thought experiment, that scenario plan, and actually come up with a science fiction story of where you want to be. And then secondly, how we're going to tell that story of what our brand is going to be in, say, 2030, 2035, and uh, how we're going to communicate that, not just to our internal staff, so they come along on that future odyssey, uh, but of course, also to our key stakeholders, our customers, our suppliers, our ecosystem um, governments, etc. So that's, uh, that's what a futurist sort of does. We don't, we don't predict the future. Is there a guarantee? Um, there? Yeah, yeah, we don't predict the future. But I like to say that we do help our clients prepare for the future. And we help them co design the future because the future hasn't happened yet. So, um, you know, it's something that we get to uh, affect every, every day, uh, when we go to work. And when we as marketers, think about what's the kind of narrative that we want our customers and our consumers to, to buy into. And how do you, because I think the strategy point's interesting and we had Ashton Bishop on the pod um, a few months ago, I think I think you would know Ashton and it's kind of looking at the balance of strategy and, and planning well into the future versus trying to con control a shorter time period in, in terms of looking at probably more like 18 months 
rather than kind of three, five, 10 years. So like, how do you tread the balance between um, thinking long-term and not being constrained by what's right in front of us, but equally making sure that we're still, you know, paying attention to the, the nearer future? What's the balance there? Yeah, I think, I mean, p- partly it's sort of clients get to determine it a little bit because they might say, hey, you know, we have, you know, they might say, our, our team only likes to think out a few quarters or, uh, the, you know, if you talk about anything that's further out than 2025, uh, some people are going to be like, hey, you know, we're, we're retiring 2023. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to say there, there are some practical realities in terms of when we scenario plan and when we work with leadership teams on sort of redefining their, their, their purpose and redesigning their brand narratives, then, uh, part of it is just a reality of like who are the stakeholders who are the people in the room are they willing to engage in a in a, in a thought experiment that's also then going to stick because you know there's nothing worse than culture eating strategy for breakfast and so you kind of need to you know tread a little bit of a balance there but then i do think that um today we are probably blessed to a degree with uh, the looming threat of climate change uh, which is really a, a ticking time bomb. And so I do think that um, when you sort of break it down and, and you start communicating to, to clients today that between now and 2030, which according to the UN Sustainable Development Goals is a, is a critical milestone, and I would argue that we do need to get our house sorted uh, by 2030, not 2050, it's 2030, uh, that... Um, ticking time bomb uh, feels a lot closer. I mean, it's eight yeah. years away. And for every six weeks that a brand or an organization does not take action or they engage in inertia or inaction, uh, we lose 1% uh, of the time that we have between now and 2030. And so that starts kind of bringing a little bit of a deadline uh, in, in a dual sense to present moment planning about the future. I would say that if it was 2019 or 2018 or 2017, brands were more like, oh, what's the 2020 vision? And it's a couple of years away. Mm. Uh, some would stretch out to 2025, but it didn't really seem, you know, that was just like, that was really future gazing. Now there is this sort of 2030 vision. Um, and I think because so many brands like today, Unilever, Australia, New Zealand has just advocated and announced that they have become a certified B Corp, meaning that they perform on the highest levels of all ESG metrics. It just means that there it's going to be a huge groundswell movement of uh, of organisations getting behind the UN Sustainable Development Goals, becoming B Corps, and really sort of drawing that line in the sand of 2030. And so I think that's a positive because people do have these sort of dual horizons now. It's like 2030, yes, but what are we going to do every six weeks, every 1% uh, between now and 2030 as we you know, keep mm. uh, really reinventing and transforming our organizations and, and what our brands stand for? Because what, like, what are the big trends that, we, that you're seeing as being important for... Australian businesses for marketing departments um, within businesses in Australia to be looking at as you know I think as we do look at 2025 2030 we're talking before the pod and um, we're, we're talking sustainability and um, I'm a digital marketer and obviously digital the kind of transformation that we've seen with digital across the last 20 years like what 
what are the um where are you getting your clients to kind of look and pay attention yeah so green is the new digital james um, <laughs> digital is I'm, so, I'm, I'm obsolete. Uh, l- l- last decade <laughs> no not at all i mean i i do say to my clients that um the same thing will happen to brands that fail to digitally transform during digital disruption, that era. Um, you know, we saw so many brands sadly going bankrupt um, and uh, landing in dire straits during the pandemic because they hadn't digitally transformed or digitally diversified enough yeah. during the era of digital disruption, which really was a future signal pre-pandemic that it was time to change yeah and and some brands heeded that call from the future uh and others didn't and then when the pandemic hit that sort of some people describe it as a black swan event i don't think it was a black swan event necessarily but um some companies used it as an excuse uh for the fact that they were un- unprepared um but i do say to my clients that um brands who perished in their failure to digitally transform the same thing will happen to brands that fail to transform into sustainability, uh, who fail to, to embrace a purpose-led existence, who fail to realize that uh, just before, because you're purpose-led doesn't mean you have to be profit-deprived. Yeah. The ones who uh, keep pillaging the earth, uh, they, they don't have much of a future. Yeah. So I think one of the, the, you know, the biggest trends that I'm seeing now is, is this ability of brands to innovate sustainably and that the only way to truly be sustainably profitable is to drive sustainable innovation inside of your organization. So changing a whole business model. Uh, and that this might be everything from, you know, the electricity that you, you consume, make sure you electrify everything, you switch to renewables, ASAP, the way you treat your staff, um, uh, the way you, you utilize resources, the way you think about innovation in terms of, you know, doing more with less. And I'll give you some examples uh, throughout our conversation. Yeah. But I think if it's one mega trend that I think is really, really exciting, it is sustainability. And I do think that sustainability and digital sit at this beautiful sort of converging trend or innovation intersection where digital and sustainability go hand in hand. Just to kind of concretize that with an example so yeah. that it doesn't just sound like futurist fluff. <laughs> um, if, if we cast our minds back to, say, the 1990s and you think of you know, a Radio Shack ad or, you know, what would have been maybe a JB Hi-Fi ad back in the day. Um, how old's JB Hi-Fi, by the way? I just need to check. Sorry, I reckon it's... Before um, my time in it's, Australia. It's interesting. I was, I was wondering that. Let's go... We'll go Brashers, which was the big uh, CD shop in the 1980s in Australia. All right. Uh, what what, what was it in Sweden, Anders, growing up? Oh, we had one called On Off in the 80s and uh, <laughs> 90s. Uh, very good. So On Off uh, switch. That. But um, we'll that go, was we'll like consumer electronics. Yeah. So you think back to an ad in the 80s or 90s and you think of these sort of, you know, um, you know, sales ads just after Christmas. And, and you think about the VCR, the camcorder, the Sony Walkman, the um, camcorders, the fax machines, the computer systems all of these different pieces of technological hardware all consuming their own virgin planetary resources to make those physical pieces of equipment. A, today they would have taken up a lot of 
space in your kit bag in your office or in your backpack as you as you transport your office back to your you know your garage or your you know uh during the pandemic to your to your kitchen table um but really all of those all of the functionalities and services of those pieces of hardware are today on your iphone your samsung or your oppo so you've got one piece of hardware replacing uh you know potentially 100 pieces of uh, hardware all consuming their own virgin planetary resources and of course the iphone now is part of the circular economy or the seamless uh in infinite uh, economy where most of the resources and most of the minerals in the iPhone are now recycled. Mm-hmm. So even in planned obsolescence, in other words, you produce and design a product that's eventually going to be upgraded. You know, I bring the iPhone back. I get 200, 300, 400, $500 credit. Apple takes product stewardship of all of those pieces of minerals. They go into making the next model while I pick up my model. Yeah. Um, as a result, the cobalt, the lithium, the gold get recycled and repurposed. And of course, these types of product stewardship and brand stewardship stories are so powerful. And they are an example of where sustainability and digital meet. Now, Apple here, what they're doing is that they can see that they can have their planetary cake and eat it too. You know, they can have the productivity and, and the lower cost of inputs because we do the right thing as a conscious consumer bringing it back, but we also buy and upgrade and we stay within the ecosystem that is Apple. This is, of course, possible, not just if you're a tech company, but if for, for any organization. And it tends to overlap with this idea of the rise of the conscious consumer. So sustainability, digital the rise of the conscious consumer, a conscious consumer who wants to know the whole traceable story of everything that you do from farm to table, from producer to consumer, they don't just want you as a marketer to tell a, a greenwashing story yep. right? with jazz hands. Um, they want you to tell a digitally verified story. And today brand accountability. So your supply chain now is the story that's gonna win the digital minds and the analog hearts of tomorrow's conscious consumers. So in other words, you need to tell the whole traceable story of your products and services, how they're sustainable, uh, digitally verified on the blockchain or whatever, uh, to make sure that it's actually independently stamped, such as through, yeah. by being a B Corp, for example. Um, but that story needs to be digitally verified because the conscious consumer is demanding it and supply chain now is the story that's going to win hearts and minds. So I've given you a few bits there now. Um, hopefully I'm not overwhelming you no, too much. I but- think that's good. And it um, it feels aligned to the shift in power between brand and consumer over the last 10 years. Like we, we talk a lot on this pod and, and as a business about how back in the day, brands had all of this power and in terms of um, when a consumer was looking to purchase something, uh, whether it's a car or personal insurance, life insurance, whatever it is, you'd kind of go off to, to, to a brand and you'd be given a brochure or you know a piece of collateral um, and you were kind of at, at their whim as to what that path to, to purchase looks like. Um, the internet has changed that where now we see that before engaging with a brand, 
uh, potential customers go online, they Google, they research, they read blog articles, they look at review sites, they look at Google reviews, they, they get trust signals coming in. And um, then when they're ready to purchase, they go off and they, and they make that decision. And um, often the, the research is independent and, it, and it's, it's, we form impressions of brands before we've ever even spoken to them. And that is continuing to evolve where we, as marketers, we feel that um, more and more engagement and more and more touch points are taking place pre-sale. So before an organization's representatives actually engage with a prospect, um, you're kind of dealing, you're, you're touching a brand through things that the marketing team are doing. And I think that does align with the idea that um, you, you kind of mentioned it, where you, you can't fake it, the greenwashing thing. Like, it, um, you know, you, you don't want to become the story and, and, and the internet will allow people to find out if um, if you're making promises or making suggestions that actually aren't true. So I think that's yeah. a nice convergence there. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's at these convergent points where different trends do align, whether it's sustainability with, with digital, digital transformation, you know, the, the rise of uh, humanizing technologies, uh, the rise of the conscious consumer. I mean, these when they combine, they exponentialize the power of these trends and the types of opportunities that are presented uh, to those brands who want to innovate. Um, I'm going to make a couple of observations here. The first one is the fact, back to your point, which is that brand accountability, in other words, the supply chain being the story, that's going to be as important to your future sales as marketing once was. Hmm. This is a marketing podcast and we're going to talk about brand and marketing and driving funnels and all the rest, right? Yes. This doesn't mean that marketers uh, are not going to be relevant in the future. It just means that if your product or service is, is shit and it's pillaging the environment and it's doing damage somewhere, it doesn't matter how good your marketing or your paid advertising or whatever happens to be, you will be found out. Yes. So brand accountability is going to be as important to your future sales as marketing. And we need to tell that story. It's not just, it's not good enough either to just be like, hey, we're doing all these right, you know, all these things really well, but we're not beating the drum. I'm saying beat the drum, but also make sure that your house is in order. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. the theme. So you go. Yeah. Yeah. The theme that we were just kind of talking about, I think the great marketing just makes a bad product fail faster or makes a bad brand fail faster that's the reality like you can't hide anymore and i think that's probably um i think we both agree on that which is it doesn't like if, if your supply chain is not there or if you've got a terrible product that just doesn't work as advertised the internet and digital just means that it will fail faster and people will find out faster there's no way to hide, right? Exactly. So I think, I mean, and that and that's one of the reasons I, I tend to obsess with trends, not not fads, but mega trends that are likely to to buoy a business model, not just in the next quarter, but really over the next decade or more. Uh, because that's something you can build a business around, as as Jeff Bezos says. You know, what are the things that either will change or won't change that you can really build a business model around? Yeah. So that's why I'm a bit of a long-termist. Um I mean, you already see it now for our Aussie listeners that when the government comes out and goes 43% carbon emission reductions by 2030, there's now a massive stake in the ground 
for brands to get their house in order, big and small, right? Um, because supply chains will be massively disrupted uh, and the landscape will massively change as incentives and disincentives are coming into law. Um, so the thing is, uh, we have to get ahead of the trend. If you haven't already innovated in this space or gotten your you know, supply chains in order, like you need to start today uh, because you're going to look shit if the government makes regulations and you're only responding once that signals happen yeah. and once parliament's gone in and gone, okay, well, you can't do this and that. Like if you're still powering stuff on, 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 on coal, like stop, <laughs> like, you know, electrify everything in your office. Like next time, like a major machine in your office or at home has reached the end of, or is reaching the end of its uh, usable life. Like you need to replace it with an electric version so whether that's your you know your car engine you know yes electrify but if we all went out and bought electric vehicles today that would be also doing some environmental harm so when uh, your car is coming up to the end of its useful life when your uh, gas stove at home which is you know burning methane gas in your home um I mean, you could replace it because it's terrible for your kids and it actually can cause, <laughs> cause asthma. Uh, if you didn't want to change it because of that, then, uh, you know, you know, make sure you get a, you know, uh, an induction stove instead. Uh, get solar. Make sure you switch all your, you know, your, your office and your home electricity towards renewable uh, and hopefully even zero carbon emission renewables. Um and these are things we have to do today to to not just take accountability, but to start getting our houses in order. Yeah. Do your B Corp, B, do your B Corp assessment. See where your where your uh, company stands today, and and see how you can start improving and getting more points on the B Corp assessment, for example. I mean, these are all things we can you know practically do to actually get started. Yeah, and the tides the tides not turning right, so brands have to have to evolve. Um, in in terms of the work you do with with marketing departments and marketing teams in Australia like where are you putting your attention there like what what are the questions you're getting asked um, and what are the, the 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 themes and directions that you're pushing people towards like what what do you see in terms of marketing cool well we can talk about a, a few different things I mean there's there's probably some technology questions within that there's probably yeah. some cha channel questions there's also probably like some storytelling uh, questions there in terms of creating si signal in the noise. I was um, I was keynoting just a couple of weeks ago at um, at Adweek, then part of a, a panel with Edwina McCann um, from Vogue and from from News Corp, as well as Sumi Sran from from Accenture and Dan Crickstein, who's head of growth intelligence at News Corp. And and in my keynote, I discussed not just the rise of the conscious consumer who wants you to to who's they're conscious they're not just ecologically conscious this con conscious consumer yeah. they're conscious uh across a whole ecology of different factors so they are conscious when it comes to yes environment and and, and the ecosystem and the environment but they're also data conscious privacy conscious they are science conscious they are story conscious they are provenance conscious which we've alluded to they're future conscious and uh, they're also health conscious so they have this ecosystem where they're judging a brand based upon yes your performance in terms of your you know environmental credentials but also you know how how are you dealing with data 
how uh, is your brand scientific and does it stand up to scrutiny? I think we all became a little bit more data scientific and 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 and, and scientific overall as we learned uh, to study exponential graphs during the pandemic, for example. Um, they're also story conscious. So stories, you know, stories such as the iPhone that I just shared with you. How is it part of the circular economy? They want to know about provenance, farm to table. They also want to know how is making a decision in favor of your brand, your products and services going to impact them, not just today in terms of a sort of a, a short-term satisfaction to, to their, what Daniel Kahneman calls your uh, level one thinking, yeah. this is sort of the, 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 the hair in a tortoise and hare race, but also how is it going to satisfy them long-term, level two thinking, longer horizons is the tortoise, right? Um, and then uh, how is it going to, you know, improve their financial or even their mental or physical health long-term as well? So they are conscious around all of these factors and your brands really need to perform in all of those different areas. To do that, we have to provide great digital nutrition. So digital recently has, you know, through movies or documentaries like The Social Dilemma, digital often gets criticised for you know, digital addiction and digital distraction and, and all of these things, and, and often justly so. The likes of Tristan Harris has certainly pointed out that, you know, a lot of a lot of the social media we consume, you know, uh, yes, through gamification and great user design, partly based on gambling. Um, you know, we do get addicted to these yeah. things, but you can also provide great digital nutrition that's actually helpful. And so uh, the likes of ABZ Labs out of the United States, for example, they now work with uh, the U.S. Defense Force. They provide different types of, you know, whether it's meditation or, or soothing sounds or, you know, beautiful visualizations, etc., for people with PTSD to boost different types of brain chemicals. And I think what we have to realize as marketers today is that content is chemistry wrapped in narrative. So I'll say that again. Yeah, it's good content is chemistry wrapped in narrative so anything that you publish anything that you create online like this podcast right it will create some type of brain chemistry some kind of reaction in the minds and hearts hmm. well, maybe mostly minds and brain who knows for the consumer we're, gonna, so we're like, gonna get the audience crying unders i know i know it's, <laughs> it's all coming but i mean that asks the question, like, what kind of digital nutrition are you putting out there? Is mm. it just clickbait shit? Or is it a deep and meaningful conversation that can soothe someone that can create a great outcome? Like, mm. I, I sit down with, or sorry, I should say, I lay down at the end of a busy day uh, with my five-year-old son when it's story time, talking about narrative, um, with Lucien, he's got, he's like, he's a five-year-old. So like, he doesn't want to go to bed. And he's often quite sort of wound up in the evenings, uh, despite all the sleep coaching advice and all the rest. Um, and so I've found that a great little meditation app called Headspace, which is a three million dollar, sorry, three billion dollar company. It's a brand that I'm sure you've come across. Yeah. But you know, essentially, it's just you know, it's a mindfulness app. And so we now, as Star Wars fans, both he and I, we do breath work in bed with Yoda. <laughs> and BB-8 and Chewbacca. And it just gets Lucian into a space where he's just 
consuming this digital nutrition. Mm. Yeah, just before bedtime, it gets him into a slower pace, <laughs> feeling his body, feeling into the fact that he's actually tired, maybe even overly tired. And um, it just allows us to go into into then also a you know a red story a little bit faster. And that's an example of digital nutrition. Yeah. So not only how are you connecting with a conscious consumer across this ecology of consciousness, but also what's your digital nutrition mix. And I think finally, the other thing as marketers that we need to, to tap into is just the inherent value today in tapping into diverse talent inside of our organizations and realizing that we are catering to a very diverse marketplace and that when it comes to innovation, uh, the more diverse your organization actually is, uh, according to the research, the more revenue you've created from new products and services in the last three years compared to your more homogenous peers and competitors. So we do need to, when it comes to innovating product services and even innovating our, our, our uh, digital nutrition mix across mm. a variety of channels, we also need to tap into the inherent um and divergent talent in our organizations or start recruiting people who think, act and look a bit different mm. from, from, from maybe the rest of your organization. Feels like three nice kind of um, three nice themes or buckets to kind of help to future proof yourself, your organization as to, to where things are headed, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think with having said all of those things, I mean, my, my sort of forecast on the meta theme that I tend to uh, advocate is is this concept and and again um, history doesn't repeat itself but um, it does rhyme and we've seen previous pandemics be it the black plague or the spanish flu uh, despite the fact that they've been devastating on on society um, and been an asset through society they've also at the same time been a breath of fresh air and so after the black plague which you know, took out 50% of Florence and, and Tuscany's population at the time, which is very tragic. As a result, labor became scarce. What happens when something is scarce is you know, it has a premium placed upon it. And so combined with an investment into labor-saving technologies at the time, you also saw peasants becoming artisans, artisans becoming merchants, merchants becoming new noblemen and women in this you know, old-school uh, feudal system in, mm. in, in what is now modern day Italy, uh, you saw the rise of great artwork, great storytelling, the rise of the likes of Machiavelli, Da Vinci, um, Botticelli. I mean, this, this is artwork and humanism we still uh, credit to this day. We saw the rise of uh, medical institutions and new medical insights. I mean, even the idea that we still use today, the idea of quarantine know comes from the black plague and the first renaissance hmm. and uh, people were kept at sea for 40 days or caranta giorno uh, that's my italian with an australian <laughs> accent um, when you're you know, in milan in, that, in may yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like so that's you know quarantine uh, 40 days at sea um so two weeks doesn't seem so bad in in, in a hotel room in sydney hmm. but um i do think we're really now at the dawn of a second renaissance you know, consumer values, uh, your customers, 
they changed their behaviors yesterday. They digitized, they became more conscious, they're spending more on sustainable food uh, and sustainable products these days, uh, inflation aside. Um, and uh, they're expecting you to change with them. So, and I th- of course, then it's your digital nutrition mix, and then uh, and then it's the types of channel uh, channels and technologies that you want to embrace, whether those be, you know, metaverse or video content or uh, non fungible tokens or whatever mm. you're experimenting with, right? Do you want to um, do you want to place any you know not any bets on there, but do you want to do you want to hang your head out on any any of the kind of directions where on a more tactical basis where marketers should be be playing and maybe in a shorter space in the next kind of three, four, five years. We, I think you've, you mentioned metaverse, we, you know, we're talking uh, NFTs, we're talking the rise of TikTok, how, you know, video, what's, what are the kind of things that you're the, the probably the more macro um, trends or areas or places where you'd put your focus if you're a marketer in an Australian business? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I always say that as a futurist, I tend to be a little bit of a traditionalist and, and a humanist <laughs> at heart. So this is this is the sort of irony in, in all of this. Leaf, leaflet so, drops. Yeah. So while like I try and always keep my finger on the pulse of what what happens, right? Um, and I do like to experiment with new technologies. Um, so I'm curious. I'm like metaverse curious. I'm a non fungible token curious. I'm you know Bitcoin curious. But I also know that when it comes to things like, you know, Gartner's hype curve, um, some technologies do just get hyped and they are vaporware for the initial hype cycle of the conversation. Then they have a massive crash and then they reach some kind of plateau of, of productivity. Mm. Uh, and, and oftentimes there's a big lag between the hype and uh, and any sort of productivity. Yeah. Um, I mean... The metaverse, to some degree, has been around for some time. I mean, you can trace the origins back to, you know, the middle of the 2090s and 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 things like Second Life. Um, and while things are getting a little bit more sophisticated now with 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 headsets, etc., the computing power required to to make this all work and and for different metaverses to communicate and and have you know digital assets transfer from one to another seems quite quite a big challenge at mm. the moment. So I would say keep experimenting with these things. Um, I actually do think at least for the next couple of years, there's going to be, um, again, a bit of a rebirth and renaissance of the of the face-to-face and the analog and the physical. I mean, throughout the pandemic, the you know, the most human touch in the customer journey was really the, the digital contactless touch. Uh, now through like revenge travel and revenge conferencing, uh, people are really like flocking back into the physical world mm. uh, with a vengeance. And um, I think you're going to see, you know, brands spending up big on the face-to-face. Uh, but that's not to say that, you know, some of these new technologies are not going away. But I, I always try and get back to some pretty old school traditionalist mantras like, you know, a picture says a thousand words and <laughs> video says a thousand pictures. Mm. And then could, could the metaverse, you know, say a thousand videos. Mm. Like I was um, in July, I was at Disneyland with my, with my son, with Lucian and, and, and Aurelian 
Relian's only 10 months old, so he didn't get to go on the Star Wars rides, but, you know, Lucian and I did. And we were in a, in a, in a simulator in the Millennium Falcon. And, uh, and as a real tragic, um, Star Wars tragic, I mean, this was a big moment for me. I probably enjoyed it as much or as not more than Lucian. Um, but we're in there piloting the Millennium Falcon, feeling, you know, just like Han Solo and Chewbacca and Luke Skywalker and, and Leia and all the rest, right? Um, and But it's just this simulation coming at, at us. And, yes, there's a bit of shaking, et cetera, in this sort of 3D, 6D, whatever, um, uh, Millennium Falcon. As good as any physical ride, mm. <laughs> um in all of Disneyland or the adventure worlds next door, you know, and we come out of it and, and, and Lucian, he's like, daddy, 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 did we just drive and did we just fly the Millennium Falcon? And I'm like, yeah, I actually think we did. Like, that's what it felt like to me. And it was so immersive yeah. that I'm like, okay, well, this says, this is an example of like the development of the, of the web and immersive technologies. You know, we've gone from, text-based and geo cities and blogs you know being replaced with, with with pictures and instagram and all of these and then it's like and then it's immersive videos and short stories and video says a thousand words yeah and now it's these new worlds saying a thousand videos and giving you this like really really heartfelt uh immersive experiences and i, so I do think that they have capacity and potential for brands to tell new types of stories um but I still think it's it's kind of early days. So and I think in the next two years, tell tell really great, amazing analog experiences face to face, while you have another horizon where you look at how you can make that storytelling really scale. I think that's nice, and I think it ties media as well. Yeah, that, I kind of think that feels like it comes full circle to the to something you touched on earlier on the pod, at, um, where you you talked about tech in the eighties you know, in brashes or on and off store in Sweden and then picked up your iPhone and said, you know, this this device now has all that tech in it. And the smartphone was around for a long time before the iPhone took off, right? And the, the tech, the, the future promise was always there and we knew, we knew how good it was going to be, but it, they just technically, we weren't quite ready for it. And I, I view that with a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment and the metaverse and blockchain and Bitcoin and immersive tech will eventually take off in some facet and the blockchain and the technology underpinning it will move forward and um and will be there but does that mean you put you know put all your money into bitcoin or you know put all your money into into meta i don't know right um but the, yeah the, but, but in 10 years time in 15 years time in 20 years time they they're going to be things we look back upon and say yeah like it was happening you know in that strange yeah, and time I mean, around and COVID. The- and there's 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 a colleague of mine. He always says, you know, um, to the late Steve Jobs. He's like Steve Jobs didn't invent anything, hmm. <laughs> but he was really good at timing and commercializing things at the right time. Yeah, that's it. And so, did he invent the MP3 player? No. Did he invent the smartphone? No. But he was really good at making technology beautiful, seamless and part of a you know a meaningful ecosystem um and so even when we look at you know the sociologist everett rogers idea of the diffusion of innovation so the diffusion across society uh from 
innovators and early adopters to early majority, late majority and laggards, really the, the sort of, you know, the mass scale of societies, early majority and late majority, 16% is innovators and, 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 and early adopters. And yeah. you can make a business model out of that. Um, but really the big money is when, when the mainstream adopts your product or your service. And so I think while I'd like to keep a finger on the pulse, like I've got mates who are way earlier to certain technologies. Like, I mean, I've got the Apple uh, smartwatch, right? And, but like, I thought it was good enough when it was version six, mm. like the sixth model, because I was talking to mates who bought the first one and they're like, and they bought it just because it was new. Mm. And then they're like, it's actually shit and I'm taking it back. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, so I've got this mate, Vish, who's a client. He's down in Melbourne and uh, works for, for, for a big uh, optimist, uh, global optometrist brand. And I was like, Vish, what, you know, what's that model like? And he's like, oh, yeah, I bought it and it's shit. And so I'm going to wait another couple of models. And so like I've got these mates out there who are always tinkering mm. and they're the ones that have to pay the price. And then I'm like, well, now like, Model six is good enough for me. Now I'm like, it's actually productive. I think there's some um, there's some takeaways there for marketers, right? I think in terms of a lot of the stuff that we're currently doing still works. You know, your, your, your prospective customer is still turning to Google. Your prospective customer is still watching, you know, TV on demand or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of the themes that you've talked about today are, but you also want to have an eye to the future, right? <laughs> you, you, you know, the, the Apple Watch is something you probably are going to get. Maybe just bide your time, observe when the time's ready for you. And But I think the same thing again, right? Which is if um, if you do have enough control in your organization that you can push the sustainability stuff, if, um, you know, paying attention to the fact that the consumer has changed, right? It's the, the consumer we're marketing to and we're trying to reach today is different to the one that we were trying to move 10 years ago and, you know, will certainly be different to the one that we're trying to move in 10 years, right? So it's um, it's it's it's, it's good stuff. And as I know where we're yeah, going... And, 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 yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, just a, a sort of parting thought on that too is that, you know, sometimes it doesn't need to be so radical either. Like we we worked recently with a, with a, with a you know, well-known brand that um, does like dips and spreads and it's all very healthy and it's like mostly, uh, you know... Um, vegetable and vegetarian based and, and dairy and all the rest and but their packaging is still you know still still plastic yeah and i'm like well you've got all these like great products that's perfect for the conscious consumer who doesn't maybe want to you know some of them like are vegan some of them are vegetarian you know uh, a lot of your foods are plant-based like could you advertise that and communicate that more in the mm. sort of you know product market matrix uh, or the Ansof model that so many marketers are familiar with, uh, go and Google it if you don't know what it is. Um, or talk to James and his team, and I'm sure they can advise you. So, <laughs> good, good plug, um, Anders. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so that's I'm like, okay, maybe just highlight some of the credentials of what you're already doing in, in your supply chain and what your yeah. products inherently already do. Um, and then you go, okay, well, you know, like if you want people to 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 eat more dips and spreads throughout throughout the year, uh, as opposed to just at Christmas or at a barbecue or whatever, um, you know, like what would the packaging look like for it to be sustainable and, and to, or to even be part of, um, you know, kids' school lunches yeah. uh, where they can, you know, eat, you know, eat a bit more with it when the, with a bit of cucumber and they get their hummus as well. Um, 
you know, what, what does that look like? And so what is there, you know, diversity play there, for example? And then how do you actually, you know, communicate all your credentials and what you've been doing for a long time, as opposed to just going, hey, we're just catching this way, but just going, hey, we've been plant-based since such and such a time. Yeah. And so there might be things that are part of your brand history as well that you can actually uncover, uh, whether you're an old brand or a new brand. Like, for example, we've been working with Unilever as well. You know, they they go back on their you know, B Corp certification, they they actually go and uncover the fact that Lord Lever back in England, Victorian England, you know, made soap available in hmm. um, in a in a move towards hygiene so that, you know, certain uh, transmissible diseases wouldn't spread so fast, hmm. right? So that's a massive, you know, before you and sustainable development goal number six of clear, clean water and sanitation, you know, that sort of hygiene move of just washing your hands and making soap available, critical. Or the fact that he wanted to democratize access to tea, which has a lot of benefits as well. So it wasn't just an upper class thing, but everyone should have access mm. to tea. So sometimes we can go back 100 years if we're an old school, you know, legacy brand as well and just go, hey, what were those things that actually have always been part of a heritage mm. that we can also digitally scale in our digital nutrition as we as we tell it um, i love it still part of in the metaverse or otherwise yeah that's right <laughs> love it love it love it and as i ask this question of everyone that comes onto the pod final question um what advice would you give to an in-house marketer one single best piece of advice you can give to someone i put you on the spot here this is great mm, yeah that's good um if content is chemistry wrapped in story? How will you redefine your story to win the hearts and minds of the conscious consumer? That was good, solid. Anders, now that, that that's that's not a piece of advice because futurists don't tell you three silver bullet points <laughs> to fix all your problems, but we do ask a, a question. question so they can actually get your creative <laughs> wheels into motion. I love it, Anders. Thanks for giving up your time to come onto the Smarter Marketer podcast. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks mate. For being on it. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time. Mm-hmm.